Are you looking for alternative investments and tangible assets that help you build and protect your wealth while empowering your financial future? Look no further than Eckerd Enterprises. With over 37 years of experience in the industry, Eckerd Enterprises is your trusted partner in the world of alternative investments and asset management. They have a track record of success with more than 1,300 investors who are on board and over $700 million in capital invested in tangible assets. Their specialty lies in offering immediate cash flow opportunities through mineral rights investments so that you don't have to wait decades to see your investments pay off. Their unique AML approach, born from decades of experience, focuses on aggregating, maturing, and liquidating assets strategically to maximize return. Join Eckerd Enterprises. Visit EckerdEnterprises.com today to begin your journey toward building and protecting your financial future. I'm talking with Dr. Marcelo Hogman. Marcelo is a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon. He's been practicing since 1990 and currently runs his own practice in South Carolina. He's also the president of Indie Docs, which is an organization dedicated to advocating for independent medical practices and helping educate other physicians on the benefits of running a medical practice. Today, we talk about why physicians are gravitating toward hospital and employed positions, despite the independent model allowing for greater physician autonomy and being more conducive to delivering the best care possible. We also talk about how finances play into this and how most physicians' journeys into medicine don't start out with finances at the top of the list. Big surprise there. However, it's inevitable that it creeps its way up to the point where it's the main factor. And then when patient care begins to suffer, typically due to the demands of the system, oftentimes it becomes the finances that trip physicians up. Then we wrap up by going through some suggestions for early career physicians that are intrigued by this independent model and suggestions for how they can start making their plan and why getting this plan together sooner than later is super important. Marcelo, how are you doing, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to catch up again. I know we chatted last time we weren't recording, but I was excited to have the conversation and share with everyone. I know you have a lot going on with your practice, and then you have some other things that you've gotten involved in on the side that keep you really busy. And so I thought maybe that would be a, a really good starting point if you could just kind of share a little bit about what you have going on professionally and some of the things you're involved in right now. So I'm Marcel Hawkman. I'm a physician. I'm a facial plastic and reconstructive surgeon. I am independent solo practice. So I started my career for 10 years as a full-time employee of an academic medical center. So I was in academics for 10 years. And I left and went into private practice, but have still maintained an affiliation with the medical center because mm -hmm. of some of the things that I do. So my practices ranges or includes children and adults. And in children, reconstructive surgery for vascular tumors and vascular anomalies, all the way through adults and elective cosmetic surgery. So that's the nature of my practice. So I have a, a mix of not only children and adults, but, you know, insured patients, non-insured patients, self-pay patients, and 
So I kind of have a good perspective on what both physicians and patients go through in the system that we have, which has led me to be involved over the years with local and regional medical or organized medicine organization. So I was president of our medical society and I've been involved legislative things. And currently I'm president of a fledgling organization called Independent Doctors of South Carolina. So that's what my wife says is my, my second job. Yeah. It's a lot of time. That's uh, those early organizations or really anything. They seem to gobble up your time pretty good. And very quickly. Yes. They need a lot of attention to get going. So, right. Um, so you've worked in all different areas. I'm really curious, really just in general about this whole shift in medicine. I have my theories about it, but I know the shift has been towards hospital employed. I don't know the stats exactly. I know there's been a shift away from private practice. I would assume it's pretty substantial. I know over the past 10 years or so it's happened, but what are your thoughts on why that's happening? What's going on there? Like, why are so many physicians gravitating to hospitals and away from private practice? Sure. So that is definitely the trend. And in fact, in the last year or two, I can't remember when the crossover occurred where more than 50% of physicians in the United States were employed by a practice or system in which they had no ownership. So basically were employed physicians. And that trend has continued since that crossover point so I think it might be 60-40 now, independent practices being the minority, you know, for the first time. Well, now it's a continued trend where we're the minority in medicine in general. And a lot of things contributed to that. It started happening a little while ago where financially it became harder for especially primary care practices, pediatrics family practice, internal medicine, as there is more reliance on third-party payment systems, more technology needed to interact with those payments from the, the third-party payers, including government programs like Medicare and Medicaid, were decreasing. It literally just came a squeeze for a lot of practices to, to survive, right? Mm -hmm. And then, so there, there was this big trend towards hospital systems buying, acquiring primary care practices. The idea that they had at the time was, well, if we can get the primary care physicians to refer to the specialists in our system, that's where they make their money anyway, right? Which is the big margins are in the surgical procedures and that kind of stuff. So that was a trend that started, and again, I, I don't know the statistics exactly, but it was pre-COVID, right? So that was five, six, seven years ago. And then when COVID hit, that put a big stress on everybody, right? I mean, that, that was a big stressor. So post-COVID and during that time, you saw a lot of practices shifting over and, and being acquired. It's interesting though, that at the same time, 
hospitals were divesting themselves of some practices because they no longer really needed them or it wasn't financially, didn't make sense for them. So looking locally here, pediatrics, all these practices were let go, basically. The contracts were not renewed. Just the other day, a dermatology group had been acquired by the hospital state was told their contract was not being renewed. So they're, once you become employed, you're obviously at the mercy of your employer, which is good and bad for some businesses and medicine. I think that's a bad idea. But so I think the big push was initially financial. And, and as there's more consolidation of the systems and more just growth of those hospital systems would rely on volume mm-hmm. to maintain or to generate their revenue, they need more positions. Fortunately, a lot of the younger generation coming through training are no longer exposed to private practice. So all they see, all their mentors are system medicine people and their mentors are system medicine people. And they come out thinking, well, that's the only option. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the trend we're fighting against. And there's a lot of good reasons why I think the timing is great for this point of view, physician point of view to start bolstering, there's going to be a shift back toward independent medicine may never be the majority again, but I think it's going to be very substantial. Did you say that you thought it was bad to be employed or was, is that the right wording used? Well, I mean, I've said that, but I'm glad you asked because so it, employment in and of itself isn't bad. Okay. I mean, being independent isn't for everybody. Being employed isn't for everybody. I think, however, that the, the way the systems, and by when I say systems, I mean the hospital systems and the third party payer relationship systems. <clears throat> excuse me, is, is not good for medicine. It's not good for patients. Everybody has, <clears throat> excuse me. I think You're I catching my cold. cold. I caught it. I think I got it over zoom. <clears throat> um, everybody has their story about, they don't know who their physician is anymore or your physician has left. So basically you just get assigned another physician. So patients are kind of herded inside the systems. And so there's an effect on that. We know, and I know you know, uh, the cost of healthcare is unsustainable the way that it is now. Mm. A lot of different reasons, which is why independent medicine is a good antidote to that. So I don't mean that being employed is bad. In medicine, it's a little bit different than being employed you know, a lot of other businesses, a lot of, we all depend on employees. And I don't think my staff thinks that being employed is bad, right? Right. But as a physician and as a patient, overall, I think it's much better when the doctor and the patient are in control of a lot of decisions, which within the health system, that control is, is taken away. I have had, we've had many guests on. Um, particularly people that shifted 
out of the big healthcare system into like cash pay models or like direct care. Um, I've heard many of them say that they felt like they were having a hard time providing the best possible care for their patients in the system. And I think that ties into what you're saying is there's there's a lot of conflicts. It's if you're in primary care and you have 7,000 patients, it's impossible for a human with one person to manage that and take good care of them. And then on top of that, they're like, there's pressure to increase it. Even though you're right. So, I mean, I think that is what I see as the, at the very bottom of the whole issue is that there was always going to be always going to be a conflict between the agenda of the physician as far as medical and the system as a business. I mean, it is very difficult to reconcile those two things unless the person in charge of the business is the one providing the care. Yep. Because I feel very confident that I make decisions that are medical that aren't particularly financially the best for me, right? Mm. That I have a fiduciary responsibility mm. to my patients to provide the best possible care. Mm. So I can juggle those things because they're under my control. A physician who's employed, and again, I'm not bashing being employed, I just think that a lot of the issues that are buzzwords now, like burnout and all these other things are a reflection of this very core discord that there is between what the agenda of the doctor is and what the agenda of the system is. Not that they're not interested in private care, good care. It's just that when it comes down to maximizing business side that always went over wins over because that is the business that they are in mm-hmm. whereas the doctor can juggle that and have control over that and i can make decisions for an individual patient at a particular time which is not mandated by the box i check on epic which is the electronic what's common yeah. record or shorter it doesn't matter my point is that I am able to make decisions, not necessarily to fit an algorithm, which design for billing. Yeah. And ultimately act more in the interest of the patient. I think I've thought about that a lot with young people, especially it's, <laughs> I wonder, I think a lot, especially a lot of people coming out of training, I would I don't know the stats on this either, but I would assume it's even more pronounced that they're going to hospital employment type setup than the established ones. And I'm just curious. I wonder if they know that what they're getting into, maybe not. I mean, you can't know what you're getting into. Right. No, I understand what you're saying. And I think that's one of the, so that's why things that indie docs or the organization that I'm leading now is one of the things that we're very interested in doing is exposing medical students, residents, fellows in training, or physicians in training at every level 
regardless of specialty, to independent practice because I think what you're alluding to is that if you don't know that you have this option, then you don't know you have this option, so you assume you have to do the others. So you, I, we all train in a system because that's just the way you get taught. Except that when I was going through training, there were actually rotations through my practice. But if those don't exist, there's some specialties that still do that, but many don't. Then you just don't see that as an option. Or you see what you see as this big system. And as an individual, you think, how can I duplicate that? How is it that I can provide all the financial things and all the insurance pre-certification? I mean, you see this very large organization which it's hard to imagine how you would duplicate that if you were in charge of that. Well, you don't have to be that big. <laughs> you, know, you can, it well, can be just you and do and do it on a smaller scale if you're taught how to do it. You know? And there's a lot of baggage that comes along with being big. It's very difficult to change what for, first of all, like it's hard to, there's all this red tape and insurance and billing and stagnant and old ways of doing things and lots of old guys being like, oh, this is the way we do it just because this is the way we've always done it. Don't ask questions. <laughs> that kind of thing is rampant in big organizations. Yeah. And again, the, that was the reason that I left uh, after 10 years. I had an extraordinarily busy practice. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I was given when I first came out of training by the chairman that hired me, it was great until it wasn't great. And the reason that I decided to leave was I had things that I thought I needed to do to promote my practice, right? Priorities one, two, three, or whatever those were at the time. Those priorities within the department's priorities were maybe nine, 17 and 47 and 93. Oh, and then if you put the department's priorities inside of the system's priorities, it became very clear to me that those things that I thought were important were never going to happen. Mm-hmm. They just were never going to happen. Right. Uh, so that's what I thought, I think I'm going to do this on my own and yeah, not that it's easy, it's all that kind of stuff, but at least I felt, and it turned out to be true, that you at least have control, autonomy, which is mm. another thing that's been recognized mm. as key to, to enjoying what you do, regardless of what your impression is. Being able to make decisions, good and bad, right? So it's not like it's all rosy, right? But... At least you feel you get, well, gosh, I made a mistake. I can fix that tomorrow as opposed to I made a mistake and now I have to wait on a committee to decide when, I mean, it just gets bigger and bigger. That individual ends up invariably feeling like it all. Do you think, uh, in your experience, when you were at this system, um, was taking the best possible care of patients at, I'm imagining that was at the top of your priority list, but. Did you feel like the organization had that at the top of the priority list? Maybe they said it was the top of their priority list, but were their actions 
Well, again, the Bible CEO of a hospital, and now the, the big trend is to have MDs and leadership positions. I mean, that's a big topic, right? But I can tell you that as soon as that MD becomes an administrator, they are more an administrator than an MD because their agenda and their priorities are now business. Yeah, of course they want to take good care of patients. And there's right. an amazing thing happened. I mean, there's a role for the system. I am not saying it was critical. We can't get rid of it. Mm. I have, you know, certain things like brain aneurysm or something. I want to be in a hospital, not in a outpatient surgery center. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, yeah. there's clearly a role in research and all those kinds of things. So it's not that their intent is not to take care. I mean, I, I truly believe yeah. I mean, you saw physicians that are and nurses and personnel are doing a great job. It's just that it, when it comes down to it, the decision is always going to be biased towards financial side. Right. So I think it's a priorities of how you're prioritizing the values and I see that a lot with physicians that I think that ties into burnout and dissatisfaction and then leaving people leaving jobs and that kind of thing. It's like a, a values mismatch. And there's a bunch of examples of that we've already been talking about. Yeah. I mean, and that's exactly it. I mean, there is that fundamental discord between there's a term that's been popularized last few years, moral injury. Yeah. Uh, which is what this is, is, you know, what you should be doing. You're going to do that because that's the best thing. However, this computer screen is not letting you do it. You've got something there that doesn't let you go on to the next step. But the idea with the moral injury though, is, isn't it that you kind of like over time, the longer you ignore it, you essentially sell your soul to the devil type. I mean, it's more difficult well, you to start compromising. So that discord between what you think is right and what you're forced to do leads to a lot of stress and a lot of bad decisions that you then feel bad about, but, and then you I don't mean, have but you're, control. And you're being a human. You don't want to be at the core. Like you're yeah. being, you're like, it's cognitive dissonance. It's, it's, like, it's all like, how am I, how did I turn out to be this person? Like that you start asking those questions. Right. So it's interesting. Uh, right now, there have been recent surveys where the perception of doctors of, of, of ourselves of the profession is very negative. Okay. So there's a general sort of a dissatisfaction in medicine, right? Mm -hmm. By a physician, by a physician. And when you start asking or when they ask, what are the things that give you the most, the most, what is it they enjoy the most about medicine by far is the doctor patient relationship, mm -hmm. relationship with our patients, right? I mean, every day there's an interaction that really becomes the highlight of your day. Financial satisfaction is down at the very bottom. Seventeen percent of doctors put finances as the reason why they're in medicine. And the reason they're in medicine is for this taking care of people, right? 
the problem comes in again with autonomy, not having control your way of practicing medicine. So mm. now, just like you said at the very beginning, you've got to run through X number of patients in a day. You can only dedicate, you know, 11 minutes per patient because there's only so much time in the day. So the one thing that doctors get the most gratification from is being curtailed. Mm. And if the patient has a complaint in my office, I can take care of that or address that immediately. Right, whatever it is, I mean, I mean, I like it, I whatever. But as a physician in the system, there's always passing that complaint on to somebody else. So there's, there's a disconnect between the doctor and the patient. The patient no longer feels like their doctor is the one taking care of. And well, so if I were to highlight that, I think I agree. It's the I'm talking more on the individual experiences level. In my experience, most physicians do rank patient care and the relationship is top. That's the reason they did what, what they did. And then financial is lower somewhere on the priority list. But I think what I've seen sometimes happen is when you kind of clarify that or put that out there, and then maybe you realize that the hospital system that you're working in is in direct conflict with that and causing a lot of the problems and autonomy would be the ability to change it so that you can get back in line is not there. So you're kind of in a no, no way to change. You're in a straight jacket. So then the next thing I would naturally raise is like a third party observer is okay. Well, what if we could leave and switch it around where you're like patients are number one, and then we shape everything around that. AKA private practice. Exactly. Oh, that's <laughs> and then right. usually when I bring that up, it's like immediately the stuff that starts coming up is financial, which is so interesting because it's the low thing. But that's well, right. So it's not the reason you went into medicine, but then when you're in charge of your own business, like in any other business, that's one of the scare points of going into practice. Right. So how do I do it? How do I get the money to do this? How do I manage people? How do I know how to sign up with insurance companies? All, all that kind of stuff is the reality, right? Mm -hmm. Which scares a lot of people because they haven't been exposed to how to do it. So again, it goes back to the training type things where, you know, if you realize that your business is taking care of patients and there are lots of resources that you can outsource, take care of the things that you don't know how to care. And of course, I mean, it's a process. You make bad decisions, you make good decisions. At the end of the day, you have control and that is a great source of satisfaction. Yeah. It's not for everybody, but it's, you know, at one point, remember physicians were all independent. Just I know. And we're the same type of people. It's just times have changed and all that. So there's always going to be a subset that really just feels more comfortable with the security of a paycheck, right? And there's nothing wrong with that if you're willing to, to balance the other things. I know that the security of the paycheck is worth all the things that I feel like I have to compromise, right? So right. 
Yeah. So my income is, I know that it fluctuates at the time of the year. If I want to take time off, I know what the repercussions of that are. But you have control of that. Right. Figure it out. So, but yeah, so the financial part is one of the biggest scare points about doing it on your own. And it becomes very important. Right. But what I, my, my pushback on that is okay, going back to square one, you're telling me patient care is number one. The financial is less of a priority, like it's lower. There's a reason to go into medicine. Correct. Right. But remember back to that day, because I think if you can go back to that viewpoint, that's a really virtuous in some ways, like view of life, like money doesn't make you happy <laughs> directly. Sure. Yeah, right. It doesn't get you anything. It's just a tool. And so people, I think part of that too, is you get the student loans along the way and then you go early in practice and then you're like, man, this financial weight starts to slowly weigh you down and you, but I think it's helpful to remember back to the time when you were thinking a little more clearly and it's like, well, maybe I can refocus on patients are most important because I mean, it shocks me how many people I talk to that are like, I'm having a hard time taking the best care of patients possible, but I'm making really good money. And it's, oh, oh yeah. Well, what do you think you're going to think when you're 80 looking back about that? You know? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I, the, I mean, it's complicated in terms of the, everybody has their own financial situation. Come out of medical school, $200,000 of debt. Yeah. How am I going to do that? All of a sudden, having a steady income seems to be very pretty uh, enticing. Pretty uh, like a good deal, right? Yeah. But again, if if you don't have anybody teaching you about how to look at this early, early on in medical school, start thinking, looking around to see what the different options are, and all that. Then at the end of the road, yeah, you see, I got $300,000 of debt. How the heck am I <laughs> yeah. out of that hole? Well, okay. Then I'll you take the steady paycheck. Thing and you get a, all of a sudden you're making more money than you ever thought you could. Right. I think you're still in that hole. Yeah. Uh, and then very quickly, you feel more confident in your medical abilities, you feel more confident in how you, you're doing things. And then you start looking around and you think, gosh, what am I doing? Right. Maybe I should make a shift. Yeah, I mean, I w it would be good if there was more resources and training, which it sounds like your organization is working towards that. That is one of, one of our goals is to attract early on medical students, residents to join so that they have mentors at examples. So one of the things I, I tell people in training is trying to decide what you want to do. What kind of practice do you want? And part of figuring out what you want is who do you want to be like? It's like, who do you see practicing medicine the way you would like to see it practice for whatever reason, that maybe mm -hmm. clinical skills or whatever. And then what are the, you have to be honest. And, and this is the part that you know, most of us figure out much later in life, not that figure it out start thinking about it, but if you can actually start 
thinking about what is it that you really would like practice like? Who do I want to be like? What are the pressures that you have? I mean, what are the financial? Is it debt that you already have? Is family has medical problems that you have to take care of? I mean, there's a whole list of things that I go through when I talk to or that I give that talk that helps you start focusing on the life and the practice that you like to have mm. and what you might need to do to make that happen in the long run. And I think yes. the sooner, those are things that I've learned the hard way, right? I mean, most of us learn everything the hard way, but it's kind of mm. nice if occasionally you get a little bit of advice that you can take a piece of <laughs> and apply it early on, right? So, mm -hmm. so that's when things were very interesting. It, it, that sounds a whole lot like a financial plan, um, <laughs> a little bit of a different flavor, but it's like essentially, so we help families one-on-one -on -one in our planning business. And really at the core, we what we do is we help them like identify what their ideal life looks like, like you were just describing, what their practice in their personal, personal, professional, the whole deal, and then take it back to today and say, okay, well, what steps do you need to be taking when you're specific to your money? That's the financial part, specific right. to your money so that you're using it as a tool to get there faster. And you can do, I mean, that's the thing about whether you go to private practice or whatever you direction oh, you take. You can right. use your money as a tool and or even just like student loans, for example, there's all kinds of things in the, like student loans now, everybody's income based. So if you start a practice and your income zero, you're not going to pay anything on your student loan. So it's actually not too bad of a situation. And that's kind of part of the, some of the levers you can pull with your finances. But I think having a plan, I've noticed a lot of people are really intimidated about going the direction or going away from the big, huge, secure hospital system. Partially because they just don't really have a concrete plan with their finances. And that's where the fear starts to pop up. Like you were saying with the finances, it's like, what if I don't make the steady paycheck or all the other things? Yeah. So and if you're aware of that early on, then you have more of a chance of at the end of the seven, eight years of training to have a little bit more sense of where you might want to be. You may still want to be employed. I mean, I'm not saying right, right, right. that's not for everybody, but I think when you're in your sixth, seventh year of training and all of a sudden you're having to think about what am I going to do, it's much easier to go the, well, I think I'm going to go over there and and get paid and just quote, take care of patients, which is it's always, is. but then all of a sudden you have a non-compete clause. So when you get tired of being employed, you can't, and now your kids are in school in this place and in a private school and a million dollars, that kind of stuff. And now you're either stuck or you have to move. And so there are a lot of other things that go along with being employed, which so I, I like to say you kind of pick your headaches, right? I mean, there are headaches on both sides. If you're an employee, you have X headaches. If you're in private practice, you have X headaches. So which headache do you feel most comfortable dealing with? The problem in the employment setup is a lot of the headaches, there's no medicine for it. Like you can't get rid of it. You can't. Autonomy. 
autonomy. Yeah, basically autonomy. Whereas in private practice, small business, there's all kinds of effective medication for the headache and autonomy is your ability to change things to make it better. You have to get used to the headache and (laughs) yeah. So again, the more prepared you are for either scenario, the, the, you know, the better off you're going to be. Do you know if, um, have you seen any statistics about burnout as it translates to private practice versus employment or? Yes. Yeah. What is so that? There is so satisfaction with your, with medicine, right? As a profession. And again, that's just to sidetrack a tiny little bit. When you treat medicine as a profession, you make certain decisions and treat medicine as a job, then you make other decisions and you feel pressure, different pressures, right? And I think that's, again, part of that discord we were talking about before. So, but in terms of satisfaction with being a doctor, there's higher satisfaction among uh, independent practice physicians than Mm -hmm. employed physicians. There's also higher satisfaction in physicians that are over 40 years of age, those that are under 40 years of age, which is kind of interesting, but I think that also reflects that they call more employed doctors yeah. under 40, right? Because that's kind of pipeline that's happening right now. So it's human nature. I mean, that translates into probably most businesses that at some point, yeah, pick which one suits you best. You want to be the owner and you want to be the And I would guess that the ultimate compensation is higher as well in private practice. Maybe not early on, but. I don't think that's necessarily true. No. No. I I think that the, uh, so when you look at compensation, I mean, there's better than I do probably, but, you know, compensation as an employee may be your salary, but it also may be that they cover your malpractice insurance, they mm. provide place for you to work and they provide. So are there all these expenses that you're kind of paying for, but not really. So you have X amount of dollars to take home. Right. Whereas when you're the one providing for all those things, the numbers may be a little bit bigger individually, but it ends up being the same, right? But at least you mm-hmm. have the opportunity to do more. But I, I don't think that their employee employment salaries are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's hard to, especially, I mean, if you're in a really, if you're a very productive, like from an RVU standpoint, physician, like that becomes <laughs> impossible to replicate in some ways because the hospital is just. Well, so, yeah, and so you mentioned one of the, the words, I don't know if your audience, if they're familiar with the whole RB, that whole payment system, but again, the RBU or the value that position is providing the hospital, right? So the neurosurgeons are a very large revenue stream for the hospital, right? So they can afford to incentivize the neurosurgeons, bigger salaries, then that's why they got rid of the pediatrician. 
right? Pediatricians basically use EM codes that are all just office visits, right? right? Which are very low generating the system. However, as a person, as a doctor, you can make that work in your own business. It's just that for the hospital, you're costing them more than they are getting from you. And that's why they give lot, they got rid of all the primary care doctors. First, they thought, well, the referrals into the system would make up for it. And it turns out the doctors are going to refer to whoever they want to anyway. Right. And they were costing them money because they don't generate much as family practice doctor for the system. But as a doctor or as a group of doctors, it can be fine financially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I can't think of, uh, I work with a lot of physicians and I, I don't think I can think of one single example. Maybe I can think of one where they, started a practice right out of training. It's extremely rare. I think it used to be common back in the day. I imagine it did a long time ago where that was just because that was just the, the way that people did it. But I know dentists, for example, as a comparison, they a lot of them do start their own practices, sometimes just straight from scratch, <laughs> right out of training. I'm kind of an entrepreneur lean type personality and I love the whole, I'm a big believer in entrepreneurship. And I think a lot of these problems get solved when you put good entrepreneurs at it and small businesses and young people are some of the smartest people and have been kind of squashed yet. Like they still kind of have a lot of creative ideas. And I feel like the more young entrepreneurs we can get in, in, in medicine will help to solve a lot of these big giant healthcare problems. But it's just not happening. Like, I, I just, it, it seems like it's extremely rare, especially the youngest. Well, so dentistry, part of the reason that what you described is so much more calmer is that they avoided the third party payer arrangements for much, much longer. Yep. So dentistry is very, it's like veterinary medicine in the sense that it's all, most of it is cash, right? So yep. patient is paying for the service that they're getting their deaths, right? Medicine fell into the trap of the third party payment system a while ago. So that leads to a lot of the issues that eventually translate into some of the things we've already talked about is that how do I duplicate what I see, which is this giant system. And it's very daunting. Our dentist coming out of dental practice has had mentors their whole training, which are doing it right, right, right. In, 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 in the way that they say, well, I can do that. They'll show me how to do it or I'll join a practice and then I'll eventually take over the practice, which is what medicine used to be like, right? Mm-hmm. But they're in control of all that because they're not beholden to a lot of other regulations. That mean, you know what I mean, in terms of insurance payments, right? Government regulations, all that kind of stuff. So, so yeah. I think going back to the same thing is if we can get medical students, physicians, and training at different levels, 
exposed again to practice, there will be a subset of them that the other side of this is really that more the patients demand that, the more that there's going to be, right? So yep. again, given a choice, patients prefer the old setup of they can go in and see their doctor and they know who they're seeing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. A lot I- of things that have to change from patient's point of view, insurance benefits. I mean, they're very multi-layered, but yeah, you don't have to change the whole thing. My whole involvement in all of this has always been to just try to open doors so that people can have a choice, an alternative to the system. If I'm listening, I'm in training and I am, I've struck, we've struck a curiosity with them in terms of this whole private practice idea, but they also are like, yeah, but what you're saying is right. All my people around me are not in that. And, and I don't even have, nobody around me is doing that. And I just don't see the path. Do you have any suggestions for them to like find, I don't know, find a source of education or influence outside of that's, that? Or That's the biggest softball you think you've thrown all day. <laughs> Join indie docs. <laughs> oh. Go to www.indiedocs.com, Independent Doctors of South Carolina. And that is part of what we're trying to build. Is we just had a webinar a couple of weeks ago. We're having one a week. Um, it's free. The next one we're talking about is unpacking the financial side of independent. Perfect. The last one we had was the pros and cons of independent. Right? It's great. a lot of what we're talking about. Free for medical students, residents, and oh, yeah. training, and and the goal is just to get them interested. So we sent out the link to all the medical schools and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's part of what we want. It's perfect, and you get you got some experienced independent physicians involved in it that are kind of right guiding the thing, and like yourself. Right. And you get the young. And we're going to have a, a meeting in January in Columbia. It's statewide, it's going to be our first meeting. And there's going to be amazing speakers that have experience. And this is also for people who are already in independent practice and to talk at a different level of what do we do about this and that or the other. But for how do I do this, it's nuts and bolts type of workshop and that kind of thing. So we're really trying to gear it for, you know, one of the things we're interested in is preparing the pipeline for the future. Yeah. Do you have to be in, in state to do the webinars or the conference? Well, so technically you can join indie docs. I mean, you can join the webinars. The webinars are free, right? Yeah. So wherever your listeners are, they could join the webinar to become a member where independent doctors of South Carolina. Right. Now, big picture. One day you're going to have the independent doctors of the U S <laughs> exactly. Independent doctors of Ohio. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, but we want to get this right here. We've done some things in South, South Carolina is, is a very small state. So there are lots of things that can be done and pride mm. that then can serve as a template for other places here. Yeah. Those are the things I'm very interested in that I've been involved in. It was just projects that 
that work here that then can be translated to other places. Yeah. Well, that's great. I think that's a good place to end it. Definitely go and check that out if you're interested in learning more. And I'll link to the website in the show notes so you guys will be able to pull that right up. Marcel, it's been good chatting with you. I appreciate you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. And if I can be of help to anybody, please share my information. For more information about alternative investments and asset management, visit EckerdEnterprises.com. And remember, Eckerd Enterprises is your gateway to tangible assets and lasting financial success. Visit Eckerd today. Please know that anything I've said today in this podcast should not be considered advice. It is completely for educational and entertainment purposes only. It would be best to view me as just another guy talking about money on the internet. For advice, please consult your advisors. If you don't happen to have a financial advisor already, I happen to know a firm that's absolutely fantastic. It's actually the firm I started and currently run now, Ren Financial Planning. And we would love to get to know you better and see if we might be able to help. Feel free to reach out anytime to schedule an introductory meeting. You can find more info about us at www.renfinancial.com.